This is Synthetic A Priori, Episode 2. So I was wondering what to talk about today. And part of the whole idea of this thing is, is not to prepare uh, and to, to somehow share this process of thinking through half-formed ideas um, or kind of entertaining connections that, that may or may not be connections and, um, and kind of inviting uh, whoever's listening into this messy process of wrestling with something and trying to articulate it and trying to spell it out. Um, I think you could kind of describe it as being, it's kind of like moving, moving kind of upstream along this path of concretizing something, you know, like usually what happens is we have a kind of abstract idea or not necessarily abstract, but just unshaped or unarticulated or tacit. Um, something that we know, but we don't necessarily haven't worked it out enough to express it. And, and then we kind of chew on it and work on it and struggle with it and wrestle with it. And then eventually it comes into some sort of a form where it's like, okay, now I have something to say, and now I'm going to publish this or, or, or share this. And, um, and this is some, you know, process of, of refining the thing and making it more concrete until it's ready to share. And I'm trying to go up against that stream, you know, going upstream to an earlier stage where the things aren't quite ready yet. And hopefully that, um, I think it makes it more interesting and it allows me to talk about the things that I wouldn't feel comfortable talking about in, in some medium where the ideas are supposed to be worked out, you know, but it presents a problem, which is like, okay, well, what am I going to talk about? And if I plan it, then I'm, I'm, I'm doing the concretizing that I said I wouldn't do, you know? So, so it, it, uh, there was a little bit of a suspense before sitting down in front of the microphone and saying, what, what, what will come today? I got some help on Twitter, uh, last night. Uh, I was just checking in and, uh, got into some discussions about affordances and the history and role of affordances in, in the context of product design and what is an affordance. And, and we're having some discussion about this. And then someone makes a comment like, Hey, they say, Hey, this, this reminds me of this philosophy class I took in college about phenomenology, you know, and with a, with a PDF attached with some like intro to phenomenology. And I, and, uh, it's funny because, um, this is actually completely a direct connection. This is something that I looked really closely at um, in my early 20s. I, I really looked really hard at at, at phenomenology. And um, I think a lot of what we do as designers um, is, I mean, no, how, how many syllables, how many times are we going to say this long word, you know, but we, okay, let's say it. Uh, you know, a lot of the work that we do as designers is phenomenological in character, meaning, meaning what? Um, it, it, the, the whole thing with phenomenology is that, um, you know, normally if we have some subject that we are trying to talk about um, or understand, um, then uh, 
let's say uh, a dog approaches and we say, hey, look, there's a dog, right? And then we can say all kinds of things about dogs. You know, um, we can say um, that they have four legs and that other animals have a different number of legs and they behave like this and like that. And this is the history of their evolutionary tree. And these are the things that they like and that they don't like. And this is the food that they eat and all kinds of things, right? Um, uh, but phenomenology concerns itself with uh, the fact that when one is experiencing a dog in front of one's face, that there is something happening that is like um, somehow the same as if I if I look down at my watch and I see my watch. There's something about the way that the dog appears in my field of awareness and the way that the watch appears in my field of awareness. Um, there's something about the fact that both can be known that um, that both can be sort of recognized and they can be treated as uh, not as um, you know jewelry and animals um, but they can be treated uh, kind of on the same playing field as so-called appearances um, and there's all kinds of language and stuff for this and and I, I, I'm not getting into you know the the specific, terminology and, and all the details of different schools of all of that but this is the fundamental stance it's it's somehow that um rather than just um reaching into the bin of knowledge that we have about things and then uh and then and then making statements uh, you know uh, between the nodes of the network of that knowledge that we really take a seat in our first person cinema and say how interesting the things are appearing on the projection screen, you know, and and what is the mechanism of that projection, and 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 what is going on here with the fact that these things can be known, um, and so uh, and you really see this, um, I think if you look, you know, we started off by talking about affordances, we talked about affordances in the in the first episode as well, you really see this when you look at J.J. Gibson's book that uh, coins the term. Uh, the ecological approach to visual perception, because he is, um, before he even starts talking about affordances, he starts talking about this thing called the ambient optic array. And it's this notion of the fact that as you move around, that there's just sort of a light streaming at you <laughs> and that um, somehow within this um, changing stream of light uh, that all kinds of um, uh, objects and possibilities can be distinguished. So you could say this is this is a very phenomenological stance, right? To to look at it through this lens, and um, there's a there's a sort of uh, I had an idea to talk about maybe a connection today, which is that um, when we uh, get into this literature of phenomenology, one of the big figures is a gentleman named Husserl. And Husserl had this uh, term that I think he took it from the Greek uh, called epoche, but uh, in English we would just say uh, bracketing. And the notion is um, there's something that I want to understand in a new way. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to take all of the things that I think I know about something and I'm going to put them on the shelf and I'm going to say, I'm just going to take a look at this thing as it appears to me right now. Um, uh, 
it's kind of like what uh you know maybe like in a uh, in a sort of a popular uh, if you were reading some pop Zen book, you know, if you if you got into this notion of a beginner's mind, it's it's a similar thing. It's like, how do I take everything that I know and I'm just gonna put it aside and I'm gonna create a kind of open space um, that isn't already filled in with ideas and expectations and and predeterminations, and I'm going to allow something to appear in front of me and look at it as it is, as it appears, fresh. And I. Uh, this um, this notion of bracketing, I think it has some interesting connections to uh, some of the things that we have to deal with in product design. And I have a million ideas all popping up at the same time right now in connection with this. And it's like, how far do we go in just into the topic and how much do we play on the meta level of this thing? I mean, it's funny because I, on the one side, we can talk about something like um, what can be known and, and how are things experienced and how do we describe the objects of our experience and we're in some kind of a deep territory here that has to do with the human experience and then on the other hand you know we can start talking about product design and it's like <laughs> it's somehow totally mundane in, in one way and, and could be thought of as, as very worldly or ordinary or, or something like that um, you know and I think, I think part of what we're doing here is actually um, playing with this, uh, you know, this sort of sacred and profane boundary, and uh, and looking at at what at what is shared between them, and finding a lot of richness there. Um, it's fun to have to have some ordinary, everyday problem to use as a lens into something uh, more fundamental and more interesting, you know. And so, uh, this this thing about bracketing has to do with. Um, actually what we know and what we can know and what we want to know and this this ties into to something else that I wanted to talk about today and we'll see how these things how these these two things weave together um, the uh, there's a there's a, a a really important I think subject um, in in design work in general and in decision making in general uh, which is uncertainty what can be known and what can't be known and, and how. And uh, we run into so many problems. I mean, a lot of the things that I wrote in Shape Up are about this. Like we run into so many problems where we think that we know how something is going to shake out and we assume that we have all the answers up front and then we go and, and specify like this is what we're going to do and we're going to build this and we're going to build that and it's going to connect like this and like that and that's the project. And then we go and we undertake this project and and what happens it turns out to be more complicated than we think it turns out that some parts that we thought related to each other in a certain way actually connect together differently or even it happens that um the thing does piece together the way that we thought on the supply side but then when we evaluate it in a use context from the demand side it actually doesn't scratch the itch the way we expected so there's actually a fitness problem there there can be so many things that we don't see up front and um, this is something that, uh, you know, I think this is like the main subject of Nassim Taleb's work. Uh, and um, when, you, when you hear about it in, from him or kind of in that context, we often use the word opacity. Opacity being that, you know, we can't see through, right? And uh, what seems to be interesting is that there's actually um, 
sort of two different, very, very different senses of opacity. And one of them has to do with uh, this first type of uncertainty where you don't, you can't see the whole picture and you can't, um, you don't know all of the interrelationships and connections and, and factors up front. And so you, you pursue some kind of a plan, but then it blows up in your face because there was something you didn't see or you didn't know. And so like in the case of product design, that means um, if there is some complexity in the implementation that we couldn't foresee, then um, our estimate might not only be off. The thing might not only take longer than we thought. It might take longer by orders of magnitude, right? So this is like where we say that um, the, uh, the time to complete a project is, is, is a fat-tailed variable for most design and engineering projects because it could be, I might think that it's going to take a week and it could end up taking six weeks. I might think that it's going to take six weeks and it could end up taking a year. And I think anybody who's been in the field has seen cases like that. Um, it happens actually much too often. <laughs> um, so, okay, so this is one type of opacity, which is I can't see the internal structure of a thing. Um, I know that that internal structure is there. Like if I'm working with some code base, I know that there's X thousand lines of code lying in there. I know that that information is there to be seen and to be accessed, but I can't just snap my fingers and 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 load all of the impl Im the implications and, and interrelationships and emergent properties of that thing into my mind and know all uh, what's going to happen when I tug on the string here versus tug on the string there. So that's 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 one type of opacity, and we could sort of look at this as um, with a, an, in a kind of a negative a negative kind of opacity, negative in the sense of um, it causes problems and um, it leads to uh, to surprises that harm us, you know, like delays and 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 blow ups and things like that. And uh, of course, we have all kinds of methods for dealing with that opacity, um, and that's a huge. I mean, that's one of the main subjects of 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 my book, Shape Up, is what are the things that we can do when we when we are honest with ourselves about what we don't know? You know, we're going to make different decisions about how we go into a problem, how we sequence the work, how much we specify up front. We're going to do things like put circuit breakers in place, like this decision that um, if we make a six-week commitment to do a project and it doesn't finish at the end of the six weeks, we actually cancel the project rather than than extending it by default. All of these things are are responses to this, we could call it negative opacity or this this risk. What, what's interesting is that there's also uh, other types, there's another type of opacity that, that I think exists, you know, I mean, I, I know, I know that it exists, but I don't, I don't know if it makes sense to frame it in this way or not. We're playing here. There's another type of opacity that we could actually frame as, as positive. Um, and this is where rather than talking about risk and uncertainty and blowups, we're actually talking about richness and possibilities and latitude um, and potential. And this is the sense where um, there's something 
that um, I don't I don't actually know what's there and um, I I don't actually know what can come out but I'm going to try and create the circumstances to be surprised so uh, in, in in one way this is what bracketing is about and we could take it in you know we started off a bit deep you know in the sense of if I if I take if I take away everything that I think I know about the dog or, or I'm looking out my window right now and I see trees in front of me and I say okay if I just let all the concepts about trees drop there is an experience happening right and there is uh, uh, something that is difficult to characterize but actually there's a lot going on and in a way there's actually more going on I'm somehow seeing more noticing more perceiving more when all the ideas are out of the way and um, so there's a there's a very sort of basic experiential aspect to this um, but then there's also a a more concrete um, kind of everyday level of this where if we if we define what we think we want so let's come back into product design if we define what we think we want um, uh, a team to do so let's say we're delegating work to a team and we say look put put a put a button here and make it blue and round the corners and make the font like this and center it and use this size font and and then position the button here and then blah 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 right if we specify everything down to every little detail then on the negative side the things that we can't see are going to surprise us and we're going to maybe see it and then say ah it's not actually what i wanted let's try it like this instead right so that's the negative opacity but we can actually create this space for um for this kind of positive opacity to give us something unexpected and 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 what we can do there is actually rather than specifying every detail we can specify the boundaries and and this is where i think and what i mean by boundaries is we can say um we don't say hey just um go be creative and then let's look at what you come up with right this would be no boundaries and then we're not giving such tight boundaries that we're saying it has to be a button that's blue in the corner with this size with this radius on the corners and so on there's a kind of um middle ground where we say um, there should be a means to get to the next screen, and I think it's probably a button, right? Um, we've specified something important that connects this work to 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 the other pieces of the system, and um, we've we've specified a context around this problem, and we've given constraints, right? And then. Um, at the same time, we haven't said what the button should look like, you know, and uh, and and so we've we've create we've kind of created an open space there, but this open space is is bounded and and embedded uh, within a closed system. So this is like uh, we are giving a problem to be filled in, uh, but we are embedding it within a solution. So that it's not random, kind of what comes out, and and there's guidance that would inform uh, whoever starts to, to to do this filling in. Um, there's the this the the context is going to guide them to toward 
to be able to judge what is what is more fit and what is less fit, right? Because if you have if you have this sort of aspect of the containing structure and then you have the aspect of the new structure that should fit into that and you have a fitness problem, right? And then you can actually make judgments about which one of these is best out of the out of the potential solutions. So when we do it in this way, we've created an unknown the, where we where we may have had a known to begin with, you know, um, and and we're saying uh, uh, I don't know how this should really be. I've got an idea about it, but I, what I'm going to do is I'm going to introduce latitude. I'm going to invite richness. I'm going to entertain more possibilities than I could have thought of myself, um, but then I'm going to wrap it in context and this 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 um, boundary defining this wrapping um, this happens both in space and time it happens in space in the sense of this is the containing structure around it so like um, I like we talked about like the button isn't just some button but it's a button in this particular screen that performs this particular function all these other things that are already predefined right so that's like the spatial aspect of the context because it's all there all the time right and it's just the um kind of the puzzle pieces to fit into but then there's also the time aspect which is um uh do we want to explore all the possible ways to make a button for the next year no I uh, do I need it in the next 15 minutes? No. Um, well, what's, what's a, what, how, how much time do we want to allow? And this is, so this is a different sort of dimension of the latitude that we create. Um, we can say, uh, this is worth, you know, uh, yeah, sure. Spend a day playing with, with a different way to design the button, right? Or, or, or you know, in, in, in a more realistic case, of course, we would never just specify a project, which is to design a button. You know, the button would be one among a whole set of things that are undefined but constrained in, in, the, in the way that the project is shaped. So there could be uh, a, a whole set of decisions that need to get, ma get made about, about how the screen looks and how it works and how it's laid out and how it's styled. And all of that could be unspecified, and then the whole thing could be packaged together with an appetite of let's let's come back and look at this in two weeks, or let's look at it next week and see how it's come along, right? And we can do that without specifying all the internal details. So this is this is a point of view where we say that um, I I don't know what's going to come out, but I I'm sure that there's more possibilities that I'm seeing, and so I'm going to create the conditions for those possibilities to arise. And that is uh, actually, um, that's a really nice thing. Um, it's, it's, it's really nice in the sense that um, it's, fun to, it's fun to give that freedom uh, and it's fun to be surprised by what comes out. And it's also, of course, much more rewarding uh, in, in the product development situation uh, to be given a problem than to be given a solution, right? Um, and uh, to be given a well-bounded problem. You know, if you're just given a problem and no constraints at all, then this can actually be really unpleasant because you don't know where to go, you don't know where it starts and where it ends, and there isn't enough to work with. But if you have just enough, just enough boundary conditions around the thing, you get this wonderful thing where the, the, 
there's an unknown in the middle and then there are knowns kind of surrounding it and somehow there there is this wonderful i mean this is like coming just to the basic joy of creativity you know that if you have an unknown but you put some knowns around it like boop like something pops out of the middle that you you couldn't have anticipated and um this is i think what's amazing about any type of creative work right that there's this kind of sense of i mean sometimes i think we as creative people can stress you can you can worry that maybe tomorrow will be the first day where where there's no new ideas anymore or you know what i mean like uh whatever this because because there's an element of magic to it of of kind of creating the open space and then allowing it to fill in it's we don't necessarily kind of know how it happens and and then you can get a little bit stressed and say well will it happen on deadline you know <laughs> but we i think we design around that because we we know that it's like that so we have to allow enough time but we also have to create the right constraints Stuart Kaufman has quite a lot of recent work on this, and he's even gone so far as to say that, uh, you know, there's uh, there's maybe a way of sort of dividing the ontology of the world. I mean, ontology being like, what are the categories that we use to say like what exists ultimately, you know? Um, and uh, there's been all types, there's been all kinds of different um, ways of trying to dice up what exists in the history of of philosophy and religion and so on and i mean uh Kaufman makes reference to to descartes when he says that you know descartes had this idea that there was this basic du dualism there was this basic like split between mind and matter right and somehow everything was that and um i don't remember the exact names it was something like res cogitans for, for i think for 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 like cognition or something like that probably referring to the mental aspect and then res extensa or something referring to the so-called extended or like you know existing in space aspect the the stuff aspect i don't i don't have the terms clear but um uh kaufman took that and and he 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 suggested a different split uh, he had this idea that there's there's res extensa which is like the stuff that exists this philosophical term you know to be to exist in an extended way meaning it somehow uh, stretches out through some metric to take up space you know um so there's stuff but then the other category that he used was res potentia and this uh, the idea of like a potential this res potentia that there's actually uh stuff that hasn't happened yet but kind of is already there as a potential and to really take that seriously and and the the one of the areas where he tried to take it seriously was um he was looking at the um uh he, he's, his background is in biology and he was looking in the context of evolution and he was saying how you know evolution as a process it it it's a situation where what exists today creates the possibility for what can exist tomorrow um, uh, because everything is an adaptation of, of what is already here today. You have to start with the, with the, the genotypes and the phenotypes that are hanging around 
at uh, you know at at the at, at the given moment at time t in order to talk about mutations and changes that could create uh, new types of behaviors and, and organisms at t plus one or t plus n right and uh, if you look at it actually this is even easier to see in the world of of, of products and technology because there are for example how can you imagine Google if you didn't have the internet, right? And uh, so first you need something like the internet. And then once the web exists, all of a sudden these kind of new new possibilities come out of that, right? And then, and then a Google becomes possible, right? And because a Google becomes possible, other things come out of that and become possible. And you see this like amazing kind of unfolding process of new things coming out of old things. Um, and those new things, they come out of the degrees of freedom of the old things. And so there's this sense that the new things that appear are not just random. It's not just like anything can happen in this particular context, in this particular moment. Like, okay, in the long run, anything can happen. But in the, in the immediate sort of focal range of given situation or given context, like what can come out next, there is a sense of total unpredictability and room for invention and things that we could have never imagined before. And at the same time, all of those things are constrained by the existing structure. And this is where res potentia as an idea is really juicy because it's this, sen this sense that actually the things that we put into the world have an influence on the space of possibilities of what can come out. And I think he, he had a term for this. He called it the adjacent possible. So it's not the ultimate possible. It's like which, which possibilities are nearby. And the actions that we take and the way that we make decisions or the way that we specify systems or the processes we use, they can actually kind of um, open and close the aperture of this adjacent possible. You know, we can... We can specify things in a way that they are always a little bit overly tight. And then we, we keep dealing with blowups because they didn't go the way that we expected and we kind of overplanned. And then we can also open things up too wide where people have lack of direction and they're a bit wandering around and it's not clear where to go. And so a lot of, a lot of the work um, that's been behind, you know, this trying to define this so-called shaping process uh, has to do with sort of dialing in what is the right size of that aperture and what does it look like to actually uh, specify things at the right level so that we can get we can deal with both of these types of opacity in a really productive way we want to uh, work with the fact that there's all kinds of unknowns that we can't see that might bite us if we don't put the right safeguards in place and, and allow ourselves to learn things in the right sequence. And then at the same time, there's all kinds of interconnections and possibilities that are latent in the problem that are unknown in a positive way where there's, there's all kinds of great solutions that we might not find unless we create room for them. And then how do we actually kind of inject that latitude into our process or add the degrees of freedom into our process and then also wrap them in the right constraints so that uh, something interesting that we didn't expect can come out that uh, gives us a better outcome and also allows the people who are doing the work to express their, their creativity and their problem solving.
So, okay, those were just um, uh, a couple ideas uh, that have been kicking around. And I think, uh, I think that'll, I think that's good for today. I want to say thanks to the early listeners of the show. I've been getting some great feedback from you on Twitter and always happy to hear that. You can find me on Twitter at RJS. My website is feltpresence.com and uh, check the show notes for links and references to, to the people and uh, works that are mentioned in the show. See you next week.